And welcome back. Out of left field, presented by Farm Bureau. Baseball season now in week two. Bulldogs had a big weekend against Oregon State, winning two out of three. They split midweek games against Texas Southern and Alcorn State. And now get ready for a road trip against Long Beach State this coming weekend out west. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. And Charlie, in this first segment, presented by Farm Bureau, go with the home team, favorites.com. Farm Bureau, your choice for your insurance needs. Charlie, looking back at the weekend, you know, State against Oregon State. This was an Oregon State team that came in, had struggles last year. Bulldogs had swept through last weekend against Wright State, had the midweek washed. And so essentially you came back without having any kind of play with midweek pitching during the week. It was another cold weekend and Oregon State coming in. This was a very young team that Oregon State had, Mitch Canham in his first season. And when you look at the grand scope, winning two out of three against Oregon State, that was a pretty good weekend. Yeah, it was. It's hard to complain about the overall result. I'll be honest with you, though, about seven and a half innings deep in that ball game on Friday, I was getting pretty concerned about Mississippi State's ability to hit the baseball. Chamberlain, the pitcher for Oregon State, came in and just – pounded the strike zone. He went five and a third, struck out 12, and you just were not seeing guys. It looked like Mississippi State's hitters just could not see the baseball, and what it reminded me of a little bit was going back to Ethan Small, where Ethan Small would pitch, and guys were always swinging under the ball. He must have had a ton of spin on the baseball, and it must have been holding its plane really well because Bulldog hitters just could not get on top of his pitches. And sometimes you see that early in the season – in night games, but this was an afternoon game. They moved the game up to 1 o'clock on Friday. Christian Chamberlain, who had been primarily a bullpen guy, and the people we talked with at Oregon State said, by far and large, that's the best he's ever thrown. And as you said, struck out 12. And the thing that's positive, if you're state right here, is thank goodness you play this game in February, and it's not a 65-degree, 70-degree day because he goes a lot longer because they really limited him with his pitch count. Yeah, I think in the opening weekend he threw about 78 pitches, and then he came back against Mississippi State through 85. And so it was basically a situation where he just kind of outlasted him. Looking back at that game, Oregon State picked up a run in the the fourth inning, added a run to it in the eighth, took a 2-0 lead. And then the Bulldogs explode in the eighth inning, six-run bottom of the eighth inning to, to win that game 6-2. to two. And, Charlie, the elephant in the room, of course, is Carlisle Kessler having to draw the start to, to start the weekend. JT Ginn not in activity last weekend, not going to pitch this weekend. Uh, Chris Lamonis has not indicated he's going to change up the starting rotation for Long Beach State. But you throw Carlisle Kessler out there on a Friday night against Oregon State, I thought – for the most part, Kessler was okay. Yeah, look, he gave you three innings and he did a pretty good job. He kept Oregon State off the scoreboard, and you know, ultimately, that's uh, that's a pretty big deal when your bats are cold. You need the ability to to hold them down, obviously. But the thing that I thought was uh, deserves some recognition is the fact that on a day where your hitters had given you absolutely no hope that they were going to be able to turn things around, you then went to Landon Sims, you went to David Dunlavey. And those guys kept you in it. They limited the damage and kept Mississippi State in a spot where they could 
be in a position to have a comeback. You look, Dunleavy actually got the win in the ball game. He went three innings, gave up two hits, one run, and similar kind of deal with Sims, who pitched two innings, gave up one run, and then Spencer Price that ended it. But I thought one of the keys for Mississippi State, the pitching doing enough to keep you in it. Yeah, Carlisle Kessler went the first three, didn't give up a run on two hits, struck out four, he walked two, so he went just three innings. Landon Sims, who had that one outing that was a tough outing back in the first game of the season, has really rebounded well. That freshman from coming Georgia gave up a run on two hits and two innings. Dunleavy the three innings and then Price the one. Charlie, looking back at that first game, where was your big play in the Bulldogs able to come from behind, down 2 nothing, and win it? You know, we talked about this when it happened during the ball game, and you go back to the eighth inning. I thought the big thing for Mississippi State in piecing everything together was the Hatcher walk. Yes. You go back, you start that inning. Rowdy Jordan beats out a ball on the infield, makes it to first. Westberg doubles. Now you've got second and third. Hatcher is at the plate, and you've got, though, but you've got Foscue on deck. Hatcher, to me, his at-bat was the key to the whole inning because if he doesn't reach base, Foscue never sees a pitch. Absolutely. You've got a base open, and you're going to tell Foscue just head on down. We're not even going to throw out. Just send him to first. And so if you do that, it fundamentally changes the inning because now you've got Pimentel. Look, I get it that he homered when he came up next, but baseball is sequential. You know, because the fact is this. You had the Jordan single, the Westberg double, Hatcher walks to load it, and then Foscue has tied the ball game. I think it's a fundamentally different at bat for Brandon Pimentel, who had been struggling at the plate, if you're sitting there now trying to yourself have to find a way to tie the ball game. And the, the other added layer to that is Cooper Jerpy, a left-hander, was on the mound for Oregon State. So you walk Foscue. You know he's going to stay in left-on-left left with Pimentel. Instead, you get the walk. They bring in a freshman right-hander and Will Frisch. Justin Foscue singles, ties the game at two, and then Pimentel able to hit the home run. Everything sequential. Two pitches. Two pitches. Two pitches turned the whole ball game. But let's go back to the job that Hatcher does drawing that walk. Do you know what stood out to me about that walk? Is seeing how Josh Hatcher has gotten older, and it's little things about this game, little things about this game. And we were talking to John Cohen after the game was over with. The big thing is Hatcher is a freshman on a 3-2 pitch when he takes the ball that's very close to being a strike. Two years ago, he looks back at the umpire or hesitates. He sold it. He you know, he went straight down. I'm going to take the shin guard off, throw it away. I'm going to trot down to first base. He sold it of this is going to be a walk and really took the home plate umpire decision-making out of it. I was watching a, a basketball game, and follow me for the analogy here, but you have a freshman guard taking it hard down the floor. There's contact under the goal, and the first thing the guard does is throw their hands up and look at the official. Well, you're about to get a charge call. Absolutely. If, on the other hand, you jump up and, you know, and you act like you just got blocked, that call may go the other way. When we saw that replay, if Hatcher didn't go around, he went as far as you can go without swinging. He went as far as you could go, but he sold it. He loads the bases. It forces the pitching change, and life's different. And then you go to the Saturday game. So you're 4-0. You go to the Saturday game, and uh, you've got Jake Finney drawing the start for Oregon State. And this was just a game where Oregon State really 
hurt themselves so much. Four of the seven runs were either walked in or a loaded a bases loaded hit batsman, and you were able to take advantage of some wildness with Oregon State pitching to win that one. But you know, Oregon State did a good job after State came out, took the early lead, had a three-run second inning. You had three bases loaded walks in that inning. And then Oregon State, uh, you had Josh Hatcher hitting the home run in the fourth inning, pushing the lead out to 6-2 to to two at the time. And then Pimentel, a bases loaded walk in the sixth inning. So that, that's, you know, you look back and, and – and I'll tell you, I think that Hatcher home run in the fourth was the big one. Yes. If you go back and you try to come up with what was the big hit in that game, you take the four to nothing lead, Oregon State chips back, chips back, now it's four to two. And after you had trouble hitting the ball the day before, getting that home run from Hatcher, going to left field, by the way, I thought was a really big deal because now you've pushed the lead back out. So now State sitting at five and zero oh after winning the Saturday game against Oregon State, and then Sunday rolls around. And, Charlie, in the Sunday game, you've got Eric Sarantola drawing the start. And you look back, Christian McLeod, very good once again, wasn't as sharp as he was in that uh, season opening uh, pitching performance against Wright State. You know, McLeod in this one went five innings, gave up two runs on five hits, struck out seven, and he walked one. So a a very good outing for Christian. State won the game seven to four as uh, Oregon State hit a two-run home run in the uh, ninth inning, made it 7-4, took it from 7-2 to 7-4, and so State won. Then the Sunday game, Eric Sarantola, you know, we talk about the key with Eric is just location, is throwing strikes. Big, tall guy throwing 95-96, and just the ability to pound the strike zone is going to be his either his greatness or his downfall. Yeah, there was a whole lot of opportunity to make some new uh, – Nuke loose references from the old Bull Durham movie. The walked 18, struck out 18. Sarantola is one of these guys who can pitch himself into a mess and then pitch himself right out of it. The key is avoid pitching yourself into it. But through 84 pitches, gave you five innings, and, you know, kept the, kept the runs, kept the damage down. And so he, there is a lot to work with with Sarantola. He has a lot of stuff. If he can just refine it a little bit, I think you have a big-time starter on the back end. Looking back, um, they, Oregon State able to take advantage of a misplayed fly ball in left field, took the early lead. Bulldogs came back, got a home run from Foscue in the fourth inning, got it to 2-1. And then Foscue in the sixth inning with a runner at first, Tanner Allen, hits the fly ball to right field, misplayed by the right fielder. Allen comes all the way around to score. We're tied at two in the sixth inning. But then Oregon State in the eighth, able to take a 2-2 game, make it 6-2. I thought the big play of the game was the fly ball, the double to center field by Troy Clonch. Drove in a pair of runs, made it from pushed it out from 4-2 to 6-2. And in the eighth inning, pushing a two-run lead to four is just unreal how big that is. Yeah, it really was. And that was the time where it was gather up the stuff, let's head home. So State wins two of three against Oregon State. And then in the midweek. Tuesday night, Tuesday afternoon, rather, against Texas Southern. You know, Texas Southern came in 0-9 on the season. They had lost four games to New Mexico State, very good team. They've got Nick Gonzalez, who's projected top five overall in the draft, their big-time second baseman. And then they lost two games at Oklahoma. They lost three at Wichita State. They have played on the road all season long. And Texas Southern came in here on Tuesday and – State took the early lead. I thought early on, and Charlie, I made mention of it on the broadcast, about it appeared as if the Bulldogs were kind of dialed in early in the game, 
and then they took the early lead at two to nothing. But then Texas Southern able to bounce right back, three runs at the top of the second. And that really set the tone for Texas Southern for the rest of the night. I thought the thing that was frustrating to me, you go back on the weekend and Mississippi State struck out, I think it was 36 times, 16 day one, then 10 the next two. So it's very different when Texas Southern's here. You only strike out five or six times in the ball game, but nothing you hit was squared up, nothing. It, it seemed like it was lazy ground ball where you just rolled over on it or weak pop-up. And the weak <laughs> pop-up's late. Yeah, kind of early, then you hit the ground balls, and then you came back to those weak pop-ups. And it reminded me a little bit of being at a 12-year-old baseball game where you're having to tell your guys, scoot up in the box, because the entire game you could see Bulldog hitters just could not wait on the baseball to get to them. And that's part of the thing, right? You go into a weekend where you become pretty well-equipped to hit 91 and 92, it's a lot harder to hit 70 when you've been doing that all weekend. Especially with movement. Garnier had good movement. Loza, the left-hander coming in, he, he was just throwing, you know, you know, BBs up there. Really wasn't BBs. He was throwing wiffle balls. I mean, it had oh. a ton of movement to it, and you were getting under everything. Looking back from a historical standpoint, and, yeah, it was a bad loss. I mean, that's a bad loss. Chris Lamonis was not happy at all after that Tuesday night loss against Texas Southern. And he said, I didn't like our patience at the plate. I thought we went up there. And that's the thing about a, a guys that throw 75 with movement and then you fall behind. Then you try to start doing too much. And that's, that's exactly – we looked like a team that was pressing a lot Tuesday night. And then on Wednesday, coming back against Alcorn State, who took Ole Miss to extra innings last week – and Ole Miss won 9-8, I think, in 10 innings. And then on Wednesday, State able to come back and pick up a win 8-4. to And, hey, that one was tight for a while. Alcorn State got it back to 5-4 to in the fifth inning. State with three runs in the seventh inning, a two-run home run by Jordan Westberg. That was key to get out of there with a win. But I'll tell you what, Alcorn State, just looking at their roster and seeing how they pitch it, see how they defend it, they've got some guys in the order. I was really impressed with Alcorn State. I was, too. The little second baseman, Garcia, made a lot of nice plays. Came up with some big hits in the ball game, And then you had the Hunter Wilson, the designated hitter, who hit a shot that got out of here in a hurry, a ball that got out to right field. Again, on the mound, though, you saw the same kind of approach from Alcorn State, which is throw it soft. Yeah. Throw it soft. And it's almost like they watched the broadcast the day before. <laughs> because I remember talking at one time, a guy ran one up there at 78 miles an hour, and we were talking, that's the heater. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He absolutely. lit that one up. So the Bulldogs now 6-2 and two going out west to Long Beach State. We'll talk about that later in the show and uh, set up the Bulldogs in the dirt bags of Long Beach State. When we come back, we'll take a look back in, in Bulldog history. We're going to focus on the 1997 regional here and start with the last time that Mississippi State hosted a six-team regional. Take an in-depth look at that as the Bulldogs going out west this week. And uh, we'll play Long Beach State, but we're going to take a good look back at some Bulldog history on our country-pleasing look-back segment. You're listening to Out of Left Field. We're presented by Farm Bureau. And once again, Charlie, if, if you're going to, to go with anyone locally from an insurance standpoint, these are guys you don't call. When you have when the disaster strikes, you want somebody that you know. And, Charlie, in your world, you deal with a lot of insurance cases. And Farm Bureau, they are phenomenal if something happens. Yeah, there are a lot of insurance companies who are willing to sell you insurance and collect the premium. But when you need them to give you some of that money back and to stand up and defend you, 
sometimes it's tough to get them to do that. Farm Bureau, I've had a chance to work with them over the years to see how they treat their policyholders, and they do an outstanding job of being there when you need them. And we appreciate them as well. Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau, we'll be right back for a look back in Bulldog history. Back on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Time now for our look back in Bulldog history, brought to you each week by Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing on Highway 49 in Florence. It's amazing throughout the week how many people have sent us pictures talking about, hey, we're putting some sausage on the grill. So many different recipes. You've got the original, the jalapeno cheddar, the pork and pineapple. Just a great product. The great Mississippi product made in Mississippi by Henry Cooper and the gang down at uh, Country Meat Packers. Country pleasing sausage. And, Charlie, this week we're going to take a look back in Bulldog history. And I've been looking forward to this. We talked about it early in the week about how we were going to Take a look at the 1997 NCAA Regional, six-team regional format. And for you youngsters listening out there, that was a grand weekend. When you started a six-team regional on a Thursday and went through Sunday, that regional went to Monday, but that was good old-fashioned fun. Oh, man, it was the best back when you had those big regionals. And the thing that is interesting, you know, we went through a phase in college baseball where you would have some four-team regionals, some six-team regionals, and you never knew which one you were going to get put in. But by, by 1997, they had gone to eight six-team regionals. So the NCAA tournament field was 48 teams. And that was a, a great weekend of baseball. So they started that weekend. Georgia Tech was the one seed in the tournament. Mississippi State was the two seed in the tournament. Southwestern Louisiana, now Louisiana Lafayette or Louisiana, whatever you want to say, they were the three. Washington was the four. Makes no sense. None whatsoever. Ohio State was the five, and Tennessee Tech was the six. And so here's how it broke down. Georgia Tech on the opening day had a guy that went to the ninth inning and had a no-hitter on the line. And it was a lot of drama about that one game, about that first game of the regional against Tennessee Tech. And there was some controversy as well. The ground ball, glove side of the third baseman, he drops it. Picks it up, throws it across, not in time. They give the third baseman a ba- they give the guy a base hit instead of an error, and the guy pitches a one hitter. And Georgia Tech wins five nothing. And then Mississippi State in the nightcap that night played an eight o'clock game against Ohio State. Had to come from behind. Had to score what two runs in the sixth and two runs in the seventh, and came from behind and beat Ohio State eight to five. And that was a great game in the nightcap after. Washington beat Southwestern Louisiana 5-4. to four. Yeah, and Eric DeBose won a complete game in that ball yep. game. It was his first of the year, which was kind of an odd time to do it. You go back and you look at the score and you think 8-5, why was he having to go complete game? It's because of what you just said. Mississippi State had to come back. And then, uh, Charlie, the next day when uh, – and back in the old days, the way it was is if you were the one seed and you won, you got to play the loser of that 3-4 game. So Georgia Tech got to play the loser – and they play Southwestern Louisiana, pitched another shutout, sent Southwestern Louisiana home. Tony Robichaux was a head coach at Southwestern at the time. Georgia Tech won the first two games in shutouts. 
And then in the other loser's bracket game, Tennessee Tech and Ohio State packing. And that left Mississippi State and Washington in the, uh, in the nightcap that night. Bulldogs the two, Washington the four. And State took the early lead in that game. Chris Reinecke was very good early on. And uh, we had a, what, a 4-1 lead going to the bottom of the ninth and just could not put Washington away. Yeah, we give up a hit and then we go to the bullpen and Washington gets the walk-off hit and ends up winning that ball game 5-4. to four. Yeah, brought in Van Johnson late in that game. Van gave up a single and then a double ended the game. Washington was the home team and Washington won 5-4. to four. So what that did is sent Bulldogs to the, to the loser's bracket. We're supposed to play – an early, like a noontime game against Tennessee Tech. And I'll tell you, by the way, 25-year-old Charlie Winfield did not take that loss very well. No, it was not. He a, was not a happy guy that night. Not a good one at all. So then the weather came, and that's what pushed everything into the Monday. The state had to kind of do. They had to play through the weather. Georgia Tech lost to Washington eight to four, and then we beat Tennessee Tech 25 to five. Yeah, and that game, by the way, keeping in mind that Washington was the four seed. Washington was actually up 8 nothing on Georgia Tech. I think Georgia Tech scored four runs late. But once Washington had beaten Mississippi State and they go up, they jump out 8 to nothing on Georgia Tech, they look like they're just going to cruise to the College World Series from there. So, absolutely. Had Chris Magruder. We talked oh. about Chris Magruder. Knutson was the head coach. And uh, – Bulldogs won 25-5 over Tennessee Tech and then had to play Georgia Tech in the loser's bracket game. And um, here's the thing, Charlie. Played Georgia Tech middle of the day on Sunday. It was hot. You had all that that rain. that game got pushed due to weather. Absolutely. That's how it – man, you talk about how things change. Boy, the weather was a really big deal to Mississippi State's chances to come back through the loser's bracket. Absolutely, because you got DeBose on Monday. So, State played a noon game against Georgia Tech – and one of the most underrated pitching performances in Bulldog history goes to Keith Dillgard. Pitched a complete game. Complete game, eight hitter. Was just unreal that entire game against Georgia Tech. State won 10-2 to against Georgia Tech, who was the one seed in the tournament, to earn a berth to play Washington. Had to beat Washington twice, play Washington on a Sunday night, Washington came out against the starter, Matt Ginner. Matt Ginner didn't start many games that year. No, I think he only started maybe four games that season, maybe five. It was five. Started five games that year. Washington had four singles in the inning and only scored one run in the first. And then the Bulldogs in the second inning scored seven runs. Scored seven runs, went ahead seven to one in the game. And then the Washington starter settled down, retired like 13 in a row all the way to the seventh inning. Okay, so Washington down 7-1. They come back. They get back within 7-5 in the fifth inning off of Matt Ginner. And we bring in old Hank Toms. And Hank comes in and goes the final four and two-thirds, gives up just two base runners, and holds everything, just an unreal performance out of the bullpen. And we win 7-5 to send it to a Monday game. And then – on Monday. Here's the thing. Here's my memory of Monday is because I was a junior college transfer from East Central, okay, college with you in mind. And then on, I was going to take classes. My first classes at State were in the summer. And so orientation was that Monday on Memorial Day. And I went to orientation all morning 
and finally said to the registrar's office, I'm sorry, I feel sick. I cannot finish the rest of the day. Seriously, I promise you. Completely lied, went to the ballpark, and witnessed Bulldog history. Well, I remember where I was because I just finished law school and had just moved back to town, and I think we'd been back about one day. And instead of staying home, it was pack it up. We're headed to Starkville. We're going to go watch baseball. We actually spent the week here. And the thing, you felt pretty good because you had gotten that 7-5 to five win. But the thing you did not feel good about was playing any team with Chris Magruder on it. Magruder, even in that ball game that State won 7-5, to five, went 4-5. for five. And I think he had 13 hits for the whole series. It was like you just could not get the guy out. Every time he came to the plate, he wasn't just hitting it. He was crushing the ball. And, of course... You think about that championship game. There's a few guys who I will always think of in, when we talk about 1997. Of course, we could talk about Rusty Toms. We can talk about Siano. We talk about a lot of guys, Weiss, Chapman, Patton, but Brooks Bryan. Yep. Brooks Bryan going to the wall in right field. That ball doesn't stay in this park, by the way. No. The way this park is currently configured, that ball is out of here. But Brooks Bryan – Magruder hits one, just crushes it. Brooks Bryan goes back to the wall, reaches up, saves a home run, and ultimately helps propel Mississippi State. Washington scored a run in the top of the first, took a one nothing lead, an unearned run against DeBose. And then we rocked on along to the bottom of the fourth. We scored two. So the Bulldogs took a, a 2-1 lead in the game. Travis Chapman, a sacrifice fly, and um, – Bulldogs took a 2-1 lead in the game in the fourth inning. Washington comes back to tie it in the top of the fifth, so we're tied at two. And then in the bottom of the eighth inning, bases were loaded, and Barry Patton came to the plate. And uh, Barry Patton just snuck a ground ball through the four hole, just snuck it through. I don't know how it got, got through. He just slapped it the other way. Two runs scored. Made it 4-2 state. And then Washington in the, in ninth, the ninth inning. the our guy. It was Magruder again. He led off the inning with a home run. What, 13 hits that weekend? Yeah, had 13 on the weekend. And it, when Magruder hit that ball out, it was like, here we go again. The, old, the best news of that was that Magruder had to lead off the inning. But after that, DeBose gets a pair of strikeouts, gets a fly ball. And what you have is in a four-day span, Eric DeBose – two complete games, his first two complete games of the year. And then Mississippi State went to the College World Series and uh, in 1997 were the eight seed. That's when you reseeded everybody. But I tell you what, you look back at those glorious days of baseball, five days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then on Monday, that was as good as it gets. All right. If we're going to talk about that series, though, one thing we have to talk about is the play that Barry Patton made. The block on the, on the ball, the dirt. Yeah, you, you can tell this story. You He was your draft pick, so I'll let you. But it was one of those things where Eric DeBose willing to spike the breaking pitch, and Patton blocked it up. Well, it was a late, late in the game. You had a, a breaking ball in the dirt that had the bases loaded for Washington. Barry Patton blocks it up up the first base side. He was almost right on top of those concrete. Uh, you had those batting circles to the right of home, right and left of home plate, and Barry Patton fields it and throws it and flips it down to first, and, and you get that last out of, of the inning and strand the bases loaded. And, so, and it goes in the book as a strikeout. Yeah, absolutely. But there was so much more that had to take place 
Otherwise, that game may end very differently. So that's a look back at Bulldog history presented by Country Pleasing Sausage. Go by and hang out with uh, Henry Cooper and the gang. They've got a great storefront, a butcher shop for you, anything you need on Highway 49 in Florence, Country Pleasing Sausage. We'll be back and uh, talk more here on Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Let's go to the guest line now. This week's guest is former Bulldog, former big leaguer Jay Powell. Jay, appreciate you hanging out with us tonight. Man, anytime, guys. Glad to do it. Jay, you played at the highest level. You've coached. You've played in some really big games. But you also know sometimes along the way, even the best of teams are going to stub their toe a little bit of a forgettable midweek for Mississippi State. As a coach, what are you saying to your team? As a player, as a leader, what are you saying in the dugout after a, a tough midweek loss? Well, I mean, it's, it's baseball. And on any given day, you can lose. And a lot of it has to do with whoever you got on the mound and who they have on the mound. Um, and I think that's one thing that makes baseball so unique in other sports. Um you just, you know, you have to flush it. I mean, I always told my kids, you know, you know, after a game you got to midnight, you can be mad, you can be upset, you can be ticked off, but, you know, come tomorrow we got a new day and you've got to move ahead and, you know, that's the, that's the beauty of the game and it's going to happen. You know, I remember when I was up there one year, um, William Carey got us um, and I believe maybe Bellhaven or somebody else in the same year and it was a midweek game. The whole, whole deal was, they had lined it up, and they had two pretty good pitchers, and, you know, they just sold out to beat us, and, and they got us. I mean, those type of things are going to happen. Jay, just overall so far, you've seen this team play for two weeks now, that opening weekend against Wright State, and then, you know, two of three this uh, past weekend against Oregon State. Just overall, what are your what are your initial thoughts of this team? There were so many, you know, pieces to the puzzle that were unknowns coming into the season, but what have you seen in the first two weeks that stands out to you? Well, uh, you're, you know, you you had a, you kind of looked at them offensively, and you had the core group of guys behind us, you know, Jake and and Skelton, um, pretty much back, you know, and and you can throw Elijah in there, but you know we saw Elijah hurt a lot last year, but you know you had Foxy, you had Westberg, you had Rowdy Jordan, you know Josh Hatcher, you had a lot of these guys that had a lot of at bats, had a lot of success last year, back. Um, but you still had to, you know, put some pieces in offensively. And I think you're starting to see that, you know, it's it's going to take some time. And, and that's the thing. When you're replacing some of the guys you did, even though you may have some, some of the numbers you have back, <clears throat> it's, it's just going to take time. I mean, some of these guys have got to kind of find the right stroke. And some of them are true freshmen playing at this level. Some of them are junior college guys playing at this level. And it just takes time. Um, you know, the, the pitching part of it to me was – Coming into this year, I thought we had a we, we got a chance to have a really good club, and I I, I do feel that way. Um, but the pitching part, especially that bullpen, was the part that that I thought was going to take a little time because we lost a lot of innings out of that pen. Not only that, we lost a lot of experience um, out of that pen, and I think that's the part that you know pitching. It's that's going to take a little bit of time to settle in. Um, we're going to have a good team. I mean, I don't I don't think there's any doubt about that, but um, you know, just there's going to have to be some questions answered, and that's what these games are for. You know, you figure out 
who can do it, who can not only do it in the situations, but the situations of, you know, SEC-type pressure. Um, and that's something that none of these newcomers, whether it's UCO, high school, or whatever, have been in. So that, that's, those questions going to have to be answered. Visiting with Jay Powell on out of left field, former Bulldog pitcher, former major leaguer. Jay, in college baseball, after your junior year, you were draft eligible. That's a process that you went through. And a lot of the names you called for this Mississippi State team are juniors. How does that right. impact you as a player? Does it bring some extra weight to your shoulders? Or how does that change you at fall as a player? You know, I don't remember it. I don't remember a lot of extra pressure um, from a standpoint of, of, you know, putting more pressure on myself. You know, I ended up having elbow surgery my sophomore year. And um, after surgery, I just, you know, my goal when I come to college, I want to be a first-round pick. I was 11th-round pick out of high school, and I wanted to work my way into first-round pick. And after I had elbow surgery my sophomore year, you know, at that point I was on a mission, basically. You know, I was – uh, you know, I, I was not going to let anything kind of stop me from being – I wanted to be a first-rounder. Um, so, I guess that will – from that standpoint, I don't remember as much pressure as I do just drive to, to you know, kind of accomplish something I wanted to accomplish. Um, you know, some of these guys, you, you know, it, it can mess with your head a little bit. Um, I, I think for the most part, the guys that fall in that, you know, production – I guess the, the values on production more so than tools. I think sometimes that'll that'll kind of mess with them a little bit because they know they have to produce and put up some numbers to kind of show some of the the pro guys that they can produce. But um, it can. But you know, the, you just I know it's so it's a cliche, but the times I've got myself in trouble as a professional player is on some bad teams that you know you're not winning. And you go out and you're pitching to try to have good numbers. Whenever that happened, I usually didn't pitch for well. Um, whenever I just went out and honestly tried to, you know, do what I can do to help help the team win. And I know that sounds like such a cliche, but when you do that, normally everything takes care of itself because you've kind of freed yourself up mentally. Talking with Jay Powell on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And, uh, Jay, switching gears just a little bit and, and playing in the big leagues like you did. Right now, spring training going on out in Arizona, down in Florida. And you've got different guys really at different levels. You've got a guy like Ethan Small, who was a first-round draft pick. They've got him up at the big league camp right now. And then different guys who are just trying to, to latch on and make it. What's it like as a player, as a veteran, as a newcomer, at this time of year down in Florida or out in Phoenix, just talk about the nerves that you have as a player. Well, it's, um, you know, Jim and I talked about it a little bit the other night when Jake got that, that uh, little call up to Major League Camp um, and playing the game. It's a lot of excitement, especially if you're a young player, because, I mean, you, you sit in college, you sit in your dorm, you watch these guys on TV, and then it's like the very next year, all of a sudden, you're in camp with them, and uh, that's a lot of fun. It really is. It's very exciting, and it's like you all of a sudden you realize these are real dudes that are, you know, just honestly just like you know you and me. They're they're normal guys for the most part, but it's guys you've been watching on TV, and I think that's your first sense of all right. I kind of you know I, I can do this. You know I belong here. Um, and then as you get older, you get more of a 
you know, he's become more of a veteran. Um, spring training is fun. I, I always loved it because baseball is, is unlike any other sport in the sense that you play every day and you basically go to the field at 2 o'clock or 2.30 and you get home every day at midnight. That's the that is that's a horrible schedule for a family, but in spring training you get to the field about eight o'clock, and if you play a game normally you're home about four or five. So that's the only time in your life as a professional player that you have somewhat of a normal schedule. So you know I enjoy spring training. It, it was always kind of relaxed. Um, you know, I always tell fans that if you want to meet players, if you want to get autographs go to spring training because the guys are a lot more relaxed. You know, they're a lot more approachable. Um, it, it's just a good time, and it's it's a lot of fun, a lot of excitement. Uh, you know, it's a joke. Everybody's in first place in spring training, and um, it's a good time. Well, spring training taking place in Florida and Arizona right now, and Jay, Mississippi State going out to California playing Long Beach, and I can't think about Florida and Long Beach without thinking the last strike you threw of your college career just not being called one. Bart wanted me to ask you what it was you said to the official, uh, to the umpire after that non-call. I don't know, man. It's a, it's a PG, it's a PG radio show. So I but I, I just, I, I'll never forget that, you know, we went into the press conference and coach Polk, I mean, his words basically that, you know, I'll never umpire again pretty much and I don't think he ever did but um that that was I mean you know out of all the things I've done and and not that I'm some you know big accomplished player but you know Bill Hayden in the postseason winning the World Series I get asked more about that pitch and that call than probably anything I do and it, it was just that blatant of a poor call and I tell people all the time not only that but it ended our season and um and I knew at that point, I said, well, I'm probably getting drafted. So I'm probably out of, you know, this is probably my last game ever to pitch in college. And I'm going to at least know, let him know how he felt, how I feel about the call he just made. So I think you understood how I felt after our conversation. Yeah, Jay, you're the last Mississippi State guy to throw a pitch to at the Long Beach State. So this weekend, going out west, how tough is it, you know, as a, as a player, as a college player, you're kind of locked locked into you know your time frame and what you're trying to do, and now all of a sudden you go on the road for the first time, and not only are you going on the road, you're going to the West Coast. How tough is this weekend going to be for State? I, you know, I, from a kid's standpoint, they're probably looking forward to it. Um, you know, I, I would be if I was in their shoes. I'd love to be going out there. Um, you know, I was always jealous of Jody Hurst and Pete Young and all of them. They had to go got to go to Hawaii. Um, you know, and I always joke, Coach Polk took us to the Winn-Dixie Showdown in New Orleans and Baton Rouge, and they <laughs> took everybody else away. Um, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's going to be a lot of fun for them. You know, for whatever reason, it seems like we, a lot of times, we don't play real well when we go out there early in the season on the West Coast. Um, you know, it's a big game for Long Beach State. You know, they got, you know, a top 10 team coming in. Um, but for the kids, I think, you know, they're looking forward to it. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think it's going to be a good test. It's another kind of SEC type weekend series, and um, I think the more games like that we play, the more we're going to find out about this team, especially about you know some of these arms we've got. Jay, we appreciate you, man. Thanks for hanging out with us for a little bit of time here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Absolutely, guys. Thank y'all. And that's Jay Powell talking about Mississippi State. 
and Long Beach State this coming weekend. We'll be back with more on Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. back for a final segment on Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Appreciate you hanging out with us again another week. I'll tell you what, the, the show has been an unbelievable success. We appreciate all the folks listening and getting it on iTunes. We were the number one trending podcast, baseball podcast in the country a couple of weeks ago. And so, Charlie... Let's take a look at this week's opponent, the 49ers, the Dirt, dirt bags, bags, the Dirt Bags of Long Beach State. And as you heard us just a moment ago uh, on our interview with uh, Jay Powell, he's the last guy to ever throw a pitch against Long Beach State. And so State going to take the road, go out west, and this is a very different team in Long Beach State than they've had the past few years. You know, they had a tough season last year. They fired their coach in the middle of the season and just a very slow start, but they hired Eric Valenzuela from St. Mary's, and he has really just changed the perception kind of back to that old-school mentality, that blue-collar mentality of Long Beach State. He's kind of embraced the whole dirtbag mentality, and a lot of times you hear dirtbags and people don't know what that means, but what it really has to do with is a team that prides itself on doing the little things, on bunning on moving runners, on getting dirty, on making those tough plays. Dirt bags is not the signal that they are untalented. It's that they're willing to do the little things, the dirty jobs, to help their team win. And Valenzuela's a guy who's embraced that. He's a Southern California guy, but he don't mistake him for the laid-back Pete Carroll-type approach. He's a hard-nosed guy. And you look at it, what you see with Long Beach right now is a team that pitches it really well. They've got a team ERA of under two, and they're going to – open up most likely with a left-hander, Alfredo Ruiz. He's a guy, last year had a high ERA, but this year he's found something else, and what it really looks like is a guy, another guy, think Chamberlain, a guy right. who could spin the baseball. He's not a big guy, but he, he gets high strikeout numbers. He He's a fastball guy. If you look at the clock, it's going to say 92, 93. If you look at it with your eyes, you're going to think 95, 96. It holds its plane. It rides and it's difficult to get on top of, his out pitch is his changeup. That's his second best pitch. Curveball he'll use a little bit, but yet another Friday where Mississippi State's going to see a tough left-hander. Eric Valenzuela, the head coach, he was the pitching coach, longtime pitching coach, and he's almost like a pitching guru, and he's been at St. Mary's. He did a wonderful job at St. Mary's. He was a big-time recruiter at San Diego, at one time at San Diego, of course, it's hard to recruit to San Diego. You could imagine. They had the number one ranked recruiting class in the country. He's a big-time recruiter, good pitching coach. And the thing, like you said, Charlie, they've pitched it extremely well. They opened their season with a three-game series at home against Cal. They won the first two, lost the third, and then they lost a midweek game against Washington. So they started their season three and two. But last weekend – they played Wake Forest, a team out of the ACC, doing the same as State's doing, going across country, playing out west. Wake Forest ranked in the top 20 in the country, expected to have a big-time year this year in the ACC, and Long Beach State swept them 6-2, 7-3, 6 nothing. 
and just a lot of strikeouts in those games. And then Long Beach State comes back on Tuesday, knocks off San Diego 10-3. to So they like Mississippi State come in at 6-2. and And the thing when you look at Eric Valenzuela and the things he's talked about so far this year, we're going to pitch it. But here's the thing we're not going to do. We're not going to play traditional West Coast style of baseball. We're not going to bunt in the first and second inning. You're going up there to hit, and that's what he expects his team to do. They've only hit two home runs this year, and so it's not a home run style of hitting, but they do hit for some doubles, and they don't steal a whole lot. I mean, it's, it's really amazing how similar they look to Oregon State. Yeah, they don't hit it very well. I mean, it's a 273 hitting right. team. So they're not a team that's going to jump out at you. But what they do is they defend well. They don't make mistakes. They pitch it very well. And it's a team who, you know, it's really interesting. If you go back and look, they're not going to bunt a lot in the first and second inning. But they're going to hit that fly ball that they need to get. When they've got a runner on third and one out and they need a ball lifted to the outfield, it seems like they're always going to find a way to do that. Let's look at us. Okay, going out west, and, and I've been on some trips here this time of year when you go out west to Arizona or to Oregon, out to L.A., and you, we played UCLA a few years ago. Grant Canyon just completely shut us down on a Friday. We won on a Saturday. That was a game that uh, you know we had to kind of hold everything together. Jack Kruger had a big game out there and then played Oklahoma Dodger Stadium. Uh, we played, uh, as we said, at Oregon, and it always seems, Charlie, Getting out of the gate is really tough. This is not a situation where State's going to fly out on Wednesday, get acclimated on Thursday and practice, and play on Friday. You're going to fly cross-country on, on Thursday, probably practice when you get in Thursday night, and then you're ready to roll on Friday. And it just seems like teams going from east to west have a tough transition doing that, especially in the first game. Yeah, in almost any sport. We can think back to basketball a year ago when Mississippi State goes to Las Vegas and you don't play very well that first game. There's a long history of teams from the east traveling west and having trouble early, and there's pretty good history of that with Mississippi State baseball. It's been pretty fun. There's been some good experiences to go west. There's Those first games in particular have been really tough. So on the weekend, you kind of expect to see Carlisle Kessler, unless Chris Lamontis does something different, Kessler – the guy's going to get some ground balls. Uh, he, he's going to just try to, to mix and match with his delivery. I mean, he's, he's an old-school type pitcher. I mean, <laughs> Not just too many times you see in today's game somebody take the wind-up all the way behind their head, <laughs> the, the big looping wind-up that he will use. So the, the key out west is, is just throwing strikes. That, that's throwing strike one early. That's going to be the key. Try to go as deep as you can on Friday. McLeod on Saturday has been really good and in both of his starts. When you go out west sometimes as well, the infields are packed tight. They're hard infields. And so, you know, Bulldogs have been a little shaky at times on the infield this year, and so you're going to have to clean those things up as well. Yeah, you cannot beat yourself out there. That's what Long Beach State wants you to do. They're going to hang with you, hang with you, let you be the one to make the mistake, and when you do, they take advantage. So Mississippi State will play Long Beach State this coming weekend. Bulldogs will play a – it'll be an 8 o'clock start central time on Friday, then 5 o'clock central time on Saturday, and then a 1 o'clock start on Sunday. And so a 1 o'clock central time start. So out west, they're 6, 3, and 11. But uh, three-game series out west against – uh, Long Beach State. And then on Wednesday night, if you're in Pearl, Mississippi, the Bulldogs will take on Southern Miss on Wednesday. 
And so we'll have our next show following that game next Wednesday. A state and the Golden Eagles of Southern Miss Wednesday night down at Pearl. That's a 6.30 start down at Trustmark Park. Yeah, that's one of those games that usually brings out a really nice crowd. And, look, Scott Berry's done a great job down at Southern Miss. He will put a very competitive team on the field any year he's down there. Charlie enjoyed it as always. I enjoyed just, it. Just flew by again. Appreciate you hanging out with us as Mississippi State and Long Beach State this weekend. And once again, thanks as always to Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. For Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory saying so long. You've been listening to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau.